Good morning. I'm Paul, founder of the New PL Institute and host of the New PL podcast. And welcome to the first episode of the New PL for 2023. We hope you had a positive end to last year and that you've come into the new year rejuvenated and ready for more personal and professional success. And just before we get into the show itself today, a quick reminder on the new leadership programs we launched at the end of 2022. Firstly, we have our eight-week transactional to transformational leadership program going live in February. And secondly, our new mindset and momentum micro-workshops, all of which have focused on helping leaders and employees to build the skill sets needed for the future of business. And you can find the links to both the transactional to transformational leadership program and the mindset to momentum micro-workshops in the notes that accompany this podcast. Or just go to principlesandleadership.com or get in touch with me at paul at principlesandleadership.com. Our first guest on the new PNL for 2023 is Sophie Wade, workforce futurist and innovator, international keynote speaker, author, and respected authority on the future of work. Sophie is also founder and workforce innovation specialist at Flexel Network, a future of work consultancy. Sophie's executive advisory work and transformative workshops help companies future-proof their work environments and attract, engage, and retain their multi-generational and distributed talent. And as part of the discussion today, we will be speaking to Sophie on her fantastic new book, Empathy Works, The Key to Competitive Advantage in a New Era of Work, which was released in 2022. So Sophie, a very warm welcome to the new PNL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Um, perhaps we can start the discussion with just a quick intro to you, what you do, who you do it for. Yes, uh, thank you. So I am a work futurist and a workforce innovation specialist and founder of Flexil Network. Uh, so what I, which is a future of work consultancy, what I do is to help companies adapt to understand and adapt to the future of work, this new era of work that we have been, we've been trending towards, but now mm-hmm. sort of launched into with a jolt. And it's all about people. It's all about talent in a very technology-driven world. So um, I do a lot of speaking, um, consulting, and uh, also I have my own po- podcast, Transforming Work. Lovely. Thank you. <laughs> um, a big part of the discussion today is focused on your your brilliant new book, Empathy Works, the key to competitive advantage in a world of work um, or new era of work. And I really enjoyed the book. So thank you very much for sending that through. Oh, thank um, you. Given the nature of the new PNL, we're focused on principled leadership and purpose in business, as you know. I'm really fascinated by the whole topic of empathy, particularly in a business context. So I wanted to start a question based on something I, I think I've literally read in the first or second page of your book, but I think it'll set the tone for the conversation today. So you you provided an example of empathizing with another businesswoman on a customer problem she had, mm-hmm. and then you realized through the conversation that your empathy may have been a little misguided, that you're empathizing with her, but not necessarily the customer's situation, and that if we empathize with the customer, then by virtue of solving their problem, we would have solved her problem, if you like because it's the same problem, a very different approach, but the same perspective and focus. Right. And this happens all the time in business. You know, we're solving the wrong problem with the best of intentions. So what's your advice to business, to listeners and business owners and leaders as to how, when they are empathizing, that they ensure that their empathy is focused on the right thing? Yes. That's an amazing place to start. Uh, 
I wouldn't necessarily say wrong. Mm -hmm. I might say that it's a question of, of empathizing all the way through. So there's nothing wrong with me empathizing with this woman about her issues, which was trying to make sure that she had the, the, the hire, she needed to to hire more people. And she was being challenged by that. So my empathy for her was absolutely well-intentioned. However, I needed to think through all the way to understand. So this is this is the the real connectivity, which I you know I talk about a lot in the book, yes. which is human centric system, which is both the customer journey and the employee journey. So you know, fixing one problem and if it's not consistent all the way through and makes sense all the way through, all the way through to the customer and back again, that's not going to sort of help the business overall. If you only solve customers' problems but you don't think about the employees and what it means for them then again, that's the same situation. You're, it's not going to be a long-term solution. And so, you know, for example, hiring and firing people, you know, which might be look good for your PL right now, ultimately that can really hurt your hiring prospects in the future if you don't yes. treat people, you know, in uh, in a consistent and 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 uh, human manner. Um, so it's really taking that the sort of the long game uh, um, approach to that as well. One thing that really jumped out when reading the book was um something that I kept reflecting back was the conversation we all have in business now around EQ, emotional intelligence as well. And it struck me, and I'd love to get your view on this, is emotional intelligence an outcome of empathy or is empathy an outcome of emotional intelligence? And the the reason I ask is, I guess, because depending on the order, it could change the way and the tools that leaders use to employ or develop one or the other in the workplace, particularly. So uh, I touch on it in the book because emotional intelligence from Daniel Goleman in particular um, is a, you know, is a bigger thing. So there are five particular elements to emotional intelligence as he describes, and empathy is one of them. Mm -hmm. So it's to, there are some elements to do with management and the rest of it. I would say the way I define empathy, which is uh, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, um, uh, and seeing the world through their eyes, not your eyes, their eyes, and then connecting, really feeling what they're feeling, connecting with their experience. I do sort of define and look at that very broadly. So it's really about human-centric understanding. So I think it does go for the way I look at it and talk about it and think about it is very does is more expansive and goes into some of the areas that he talks about in terms of emotion, what emotional intelligence means and how you have to think about managing people. So in his definition, empathy is one piece of the puzzle. Um, I do look at it more broadly because yeah. I go into sales and leadership and hybrid working and on all those different types of things. And I, so I don't think it's one or the other. I think having understanding from not just the, you know, not just your head, because I'm pretty good at it, you know, I, could have, I think about this, I think about that. But when you connect it to how people are feeling, that actually changes how you, you know, the interactions you have in a business perspective. And I think that's really important, particularly now. Yeah. You mentioned in that answer around one of the the essence of empathy is putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And when we often read about empathy in business context, it's in relation to to leadership, you know, so leaders and managers needing to be more empathetic towards employees. I very rarely read about empathy upwards, so to speak. So employees having empathy for the, let's say, the pressures or the loneliness of leadership. And I guess in some regards, it may be easier for a leader to put themselves in the shoes of employee because they've come up to that position through Mm -hmm. it It may be harder for an employee to put themselves in the shoes of a leader because 
they haven't been in that position and they don't understand all of the pressures perhaps that mm-hmm. sit behind the front face of a leader. Is it a big challenge for empathy in business that perhaps it it is much easier for it to go potentially for it to go one way than the other? That's a very insightful point about you know, if you haven't been in, in that particular role as a as a manager or leader, you you don't have the experience because it's the common experience, it's the common ground that it makes it yes. easier to empathize with someone. Um, yes, that is definitely a piece of the challenge. I think the first challenge is that we haven't been practicing empathy in the workplace very much. Um, you know, I don't go to the woulda, coulda, shoulda. It's, you know, that's how we have been doing it. Um, and that is what, you know, we have thought was sufficient. You pay someone and they will do the work. Well, now we actually need people to go above and beyond. In fact, the quiet quitting is really sort of saying, well, you know, people do just what they want. We don't want them to do just what their their job defines because really now, because things are so much more complicated and moving at a pace and much less linear and, and, you know, so much is changing. We need people to really, to really engage. So yes, I think bringing people in, bringing empathy, bringing this sort of emotional connection into the workplace is the biggest challenge because we haven't, we sort of, you know, we have this phrase, it's not personal, it's business. Yeah. We need to, we need to move on from that. Um, And then creating that common ground and creating those sort of shared memories so that people do understand each other better. So having stronger relationships, it doesn't mean that your boss is your best friend or, you know, or your Mm -hmm. team members, but having better relationships, that's the key for me. That's the next step to really being able to uh, encourage and uh, enhance and develop empathetic relationships and understanding in the, in the workplace. And you also mentioned in the book, the role of trust and empathy and developing that and and people have to trust the empathy that you, the empathy that you're displaying is coming from a place of sincerity, you know, that that's more than a veneer. And this is where I feel there's a tremendous wall for, you know, many businesses to get over when it comes to creating a more empathetic environment within a business. Because if you start demonstrating more empathy, but the general work environment, as you've just alluded to, is one of perhaps distrust, then the sincerity of the empathy is questioned because it's out of sync with the prevailing culture. So how do we how do we break that perception? Is it just persistence? Is it the relationship developing, as you say, or are there other clever tools to enable it? I start with culture in the book, in values, mm-hmm. because that without that foundation, it's going to be hard to do it. Now, you can do it within a team. You can do it within a smaller entity within the company. But overall, the company needs to to shift the culture to be more trust-based and not be treating employees like they're replaceable. Because ultimately, that is that is how, particularly for the younger generation coming in, and they have a lot more anxiety and depression. Um, and the anxiety has fundamental, you know, there's some fundamental aspects to it about the state of the world, but also in terms of my job security and my income mm-hmm. security. Do I have any stability in my situation? And that is critical. So if I don't even trust you as my boss or my company, it's going to be very hard for me to do good work because I'm going to continue to be distracted. And the, you know, the 60% of Gen Zs and millennials who have uh, side hustles, I'm going to be really, you know, putting one foot and, and a whole bunch of energy into that side hustle because I don't feel 
uh, good about my situation. I'm worried about my situation. So trust becomes really, really critical for productivity. So, you know, this is, this is a core issue and needs to come from culture. And for, for some organizations who have, you know, there's a big, big shift that needs to, to happen in order to be able to change that sentiment and therefore improve the bottom line. Can we have too much empathy in a work context? You know, is there a point at which it becomes counterproductive and effective culturally and commercially? So there are two elements. One is that empathy, one is not about being kind and nice, but mm-hmm. it it isn't necessarily used uh, for good intentions. People can be extremely manipulative and yeah. empathetic. I mean, that empathy is about understanding someone and understanding, the, you know, their motivations and how they see the world and what's going to, you know, trigger them or whatever. So you, you can have some very successful uh, empathetic salespeople. So all the time I'm talking about empathy being used for in, in, in a, you know, ethical or yeah, positive yeah. ways. You do also have empaths and empaths uh, are what I would define as somebody who is very, very empathetic. And what what the challenge for them is, and I have several friends who are like that, they find it very hard to draw the line. And, you know, if you're having a bad day, you know, if I were empath, I'd take the whole thing on and I would become absorbed and I'd share it with you, which would be helpful for you. But I then take on too much. Now in a work setting, what that means is I can get bulldozed because it's not about my, you know, sort of balancing my needs and your needs, your opinion, my opinion, the people in, in the room, I just completely give up to it. So yeah. when, you know, the way I, I, I approach it um, in the book is like thinking about the balance of needs. And so trying to make sure they're, they're, it's not just about you. It is about, you know, you and me in this conversation or in this discussion and making sure that, I don't just understand your you know position and opinion and and points but I also am sharing mine in a way that you know you can understand and, and using empathy we can make sure that we both understand each other properly and then we can have you know come up with the best solution um and decision empathy I guess is is what broadly falls under you know the soft skills within leadership or management and to paraphrase, you know, that old that old cliche when it comes to empathy or other things like that, it's it's a journey, not a destination. You don't get to being the empathetic leader. It's an ongoing process mm-hmm. and commitment, um, a daily commitment to thinking about and understanding, communicating and so on. Do you think this is another of the challenges that, you know, in business particularly, we are a KPI, target-driven world. Um, we feel we have to kind of tick, you know, we've done the work on empathy. We're now an empathetic leader what's next but that can't be the way it works so how do we break that approach that perception and with when it comes to empathy within the business world i think just the way you put it i mean there are so many things which are a journey not a destination i mean life for one <laughs> and that also i think during this time of extraordinary flux that we're in there's so much evolution and this is this also doesn't have a kind of like, oh we've transformed we're done you know we're we're in the future of work everything's great yeah. we are constantly evolving yes the the volatility is less extreme than during the pandemic but this these changes this evolution was happening way before the pandemic and we need to be adjusting to this way of evolving 
and which means our businesses need to evolve our you know how our teams the projects we're doing so much more non-routine work so this is a mindset shift not not just about where our businesses are or where we are about empathy but all the things that we're learning and growing and you know just just as in the same way that we can't come out of college or school and we're done with education it's all about lifelong learning so this really is a shift in mindset to be on this continuous path which you know can be a little bit exhausting but I mean, I love learning, so that's, you know, fine with me, but it's, we can get used to it. I mean, as human beings, we are, are we, we like habits, we like things to be comfortable, but we can, we are, have also been shifting into a much more comfortable way of, of understanding and accepting that this is the new normal or, or this is how it's going to be as we move forward. From a leadership position, what is that first step to transform your thinking towards more empathetic leadership where does someone's listening today in the audience and think really I'm not as empathetic as I should be as a business owner or a leader I need to start considering employees in a in a more holistic way what's the first step that they take I listening I think mm -hmm. is the most is the best and easiest place to start um because as you as you listen really actively which means you know, the best way for, for me to, expl to explain active listening is that I stop listening to myself mm. <laughs> as I'm thinking. And I'm not listening to you and kind of going, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. I mean, you know, I'm just I'm still thinking about my thoughts and what I'm going to say next. It's really what is he saying? What does that mean? Do I understand? And then asking those open questions kind of like, is this what you meant? This is what I heard to which then says you know i value you i i'm trying to understand you i value your opinion this is really you know this is interesting and so it's that curiosity that combines with the listening that means i mean yes you there, there are so many things you might not be interested in but that connection what you may be interested in if you're not interested in the person is coming up with a a, a viable solution or you know a better outcome and that can be, uh, you know, give you the motivation to really start listening carefully to whomever you're dealing with and then asking those questions, making sure that you understand and then drawing more information out because that also in better informs any decision that you come up with. Mm -hmm. So whatever the interaction is, there's going to be benefits to you. And that's also, be, you know, not just the information that you have, but the relationship you have with the other person, how they feel about how that interaction went. And that feeds on itself because when the person, you know, any leader sees the the, the better outcomes that you have and the better connection that you have and um, going forward, then it sort of feeds on itself to, to encourage and motivate um, more of that listening and understanding. And as you said in that, that answer there, then, you know, curiosity is the key to all of that, isn't it? It's such an yeah. undervalued attribute in business still, I think, today. Yes. And, you know, when we have so much uh, change, as I said, and you can't, I mean, some of the curiosity that we was sort of forced upon us during the pandemic is like, shoot, right, how how can we survive? What, how yeah. can we pivot? That curiosity that, you know, that was forced, now we can kind of go, okay, well, what technology could we use? Or what are the other ways to do this? Because we've seen how differently we can act and survive and you know develop our business or new customers. And so that curiosity, which we have engaged more over the last two to three years, you know, you know, keeping that going to understand how much it can benefit us. Absolutely. 
I sometimes feel that empathetic leadership falls into the same category as vulnerable leadership. You know, the definition or the perceived benefits or otherwise are more in the hand of the recipient than the giver. For example, a leader demonstrating vulnerability to two people in business could be perceived as strong by one for demonstrating his or her vulnerability, but weak by the other standing right next to that person. And I guess the same can apply to empathy. So can we actually define what positive empathetic leadership looks like in business? Can we can we measure it? Can we understand its results? Or, or how do we how do we know that that person is delivering positive empathetic leadership? Um, well, first of all, I just say that the benefits of that leader, for example, showing vulnerability, showing vulnerability um, has an immediate benefit to the leader in terms of opening up the possibility that that person, that their team team member, uh, is encouraged in the future to show their vulnerability and speak up and talk about their problems before they escalate. So that is an immediate benefit to the leader by showing that um, vulnerability. And you know, I think in terms of does that does that young person does, does that team member think the person is weak? You know. In some cases, possibly, but I think, you know, it's really more of a human connection sort of saying, mm -hmm. yes, that person, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, that person isn't perfect. I don't have to be perfect, but we have that common connection again, that helps with this sort of the, the, that common understanding, um, the common ground that is important for empathy. So um, we also have the, that oxytocin is uh, um, generated when leaders, this is really interesting research that shows what when leaders ask other people for help, yes. it generates oxytocin in those team members mm -hmm. when they're asking for support. And that trust is generated and that leads to engagement. Again, so other you know, very real um aspects um that can be supported um, you know, through that vulnerability. As in terms of results, I think, you know you can be measuring engagement in terms of you know, the qualitative as well as um, some quantitative message measures in terms of, of outputs, but there are lots of different ways, not necessarily to, to measure empathy directly, but to measure what that engagement that, you know, comes from more trust-based relationships, closer relationships, and how connected people feel on um, the sense of community that they feel, the sense of belonging that they feel. There are lots of different ways to measure the interrelated effects that come along with empathy and because of empathy. I've been reading a lot in the last couple of days about GPT chat, the chatbot mm. that has been all over the news for the last month. As, as I was creating the questions for this conversation as well. And it got me thinking about the potential conflict between empathy and content creation if we start going down the road of more and more corporate statements and communication and information being created by something like GPT chat or the equivalent. I'm sure there'll be others that come out. And so many of these corporate statements, correspondence, information, so on, there's always a nod to, a very subtle nod, but a nod to emotional triggers or, or nuance or empathy or whatever it happens to be. To the best of my knowledge, AI and machine learning is yet to, to demonstrate empathy, to demonstrate relationship development on that level. But if businesses employ more and more machine learning and AI to generate their content, and that machine learning is not capable of empathetic nuance, 
Where does that leave the perception of empathy within a corporation when that correspondence is going out without those subtle nods to nuance emotion and so on? In fact, uh, Dr. Grin Lord, amazing name, um, has <laughs> done some fantastic uh, research which showed how AI can really, because they have, they can, you know, input so much data. Yeah that can be churned and machines can be very good at learning those nuances and helping. She was working particularly on helping um, uh, psychiatrists, providers to, to listen better, mm -hmm. to be, to be really good listeners and using AI, it could actually recognize when, you know, what things that they said that weren't going to be helpful or the ways that they reacted to, to the person and that could then now can then actually give them prompts or sort of tell them afterwards, hey, you know, these elements were not that conducive to having a good reaction. And and the the software, her company is called empath.ai right. and which is starts with an M, not an EM. Mm -hmm. Um now that is there there's some um software that is very early on that's going into workplaces to to help identify and help prompt people because one we haven't been using um empathy very much in the workplace and two some people are are not uh you know are not as open emotionally particularly in a work setting and it and, mm -hmm. it, and it requires encouragement and some you know if you if you've done a lot of work work on yourself or you know the, whatever that might the the sort of self-awareness that you have is helped by some technologies which can sort of say hey sophie you know these are type of things can that you can say to encourage someone to to be you know opening up more and you can get more information or, or not get more information out but but be encouraging a more open dialogue and so the technologies now are actually very powerful because they can you know these are all the empathetic conversations they can go through mm -hmm. it you know learn it do the machine learning so there's some very interesting ways that we can benefit from machine learning and ai to to supplement not not necessarily to replace um, in some places may be replaced, but to really supplement and 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 help us and encourage us and prompt us to be more empathetic in different interactions, whether it is in a you know in a psychiatrist um, therapist situation or in business interactions. That will be a richly ironic world when a machine is telling is putting the veneer of empathy over something that a leader has created. Well, <laughs> yes, but the thing is, we sometimes we're so busy True. or, or um, I'm not just paying attention to all the, all your body language. I mean, we, we can, you know, the things that I talk about and the empathy habits I talk about in the yeah. book are, you know, to, to combine what I know of you, what my understand, what your sort of baseline, you know, mode of work, you know, how you you typically operate, you know, what's your energy level? How do you speak? You know, how quickly do you get back to me on email? all that paying attention, I have a sort of work at that and kind of go, okay, so this is what he's like. And so when there's a deviation, I kind of go, oh, huh, I wonder what's going on. Whereas, you know, so we have to pay attention, we can build that up and we can do it. And absolutely. And that yeah. really encourages all kinds of, of improvements in our relationship and, and, and outcomes. And you can have, uh, you know, um, some software which can sort of say, hey, look, there's something going on because we can track this. And there's some really interesting um, software. There's a company called Headroom, 
mm-hmm. which is like Zoom on steroids and based out of the UK, I think. Right. And as you're talking, it has a little, and there's also another one from um, Riff, Riff Analytics, that allows you to understand the dynamics of a conversation as it's going on. And it has a little sort of one of those spider web things. So you can see whether the conversation is, do- who is dominating the conversation in a team conversation. And, and it, you know, it can actually flag you and sort of say, hey, Sophie, you're talking too much. <laughs> um, and, you know, and gives a, a and, and sort of ask a question at the, at the end and sort of maybe give some, some prompts and understanding. And so these type of, of prompts, can, you know, are can be really good and helpful to to supplement um, and and give us uh, some additional info as we're doing it because we have so many other things going on. And honestly, in this changing environment, if we get a little more, bit more support. That's not going to be a bad thing at all. No, absolutely. You, you touched on and then answered the empathy habits, and I think it would be great for you to just give listeners a bit of an understanding of some of the tools and and techniques they can employ to to enhance their empathy within a within a business and a personal context. Great. Yes. So uh, one of the things, for example, I have a pet, pet peeve about meetings. Mm-hmm. And it, this also explains some of the expansive way that I look at empathy. For example, I do think that empathy is uh, also includes me sort of saying, well, I want to be empathetic about Paul's time. And like, if he doesn't need to be in that meeting for the whole time, then it is empathetic. It's understanding of me to say, okay, Paul, you only need to be there for five minutes of it. And so you're trying to understand, uh, you know, it means doing an agenda, making sure there's an objective, running the meeting properly, being empathetic about who actually needs to be in the meeting and then running it efficiently. Then there's a habit. So it's like setting up the whole meeting you know, properly, who should be in, invited. And then as we get into the meeting, then it's connecting with you and anybody else. So say, Paul, so how are you? How's your dog? You know, we both have dogs maybe. And so we connect on that. So we both remember all the other things that do connect us. And it puts mm-hmm. us on the same side of the table first so that we can open up the meeting in the most positive and productive way, particularly if we're going to be discussing something challenging. And then, you know, moving into some other areas where we also share common ground in a business sense. And then as we move into talking about the topic, where do we have areas of agreement? These are all making sure that we will be able to empathize, not just about the things we agree on, but about the things that we don't agree on. So that I can kind of go, okay, so, all right, so Paul and I do agree on this, but what other aspects of this challenging topic, you know, what don't I know? How can I be curious? It's stimulating my curiosity. Like, so what does Paul, what does Paul know that I don't know that can help me empathize with his perspective with his point of view and and when i do that it also encourages you to do the same and to be more willing to listen to me and try Mm -hmm. and understand my perspective so those are all habits to to start out a meeting effectively and and be able to to have uh you know great collaboration sessions wherever you are um and also you know produce the best outcomes and there's also a lot to do with observing people's people's faces listening to their voices you know really being a bit of a detective which we do all the time with our friends and and family you know let's just say you know whether you're a kid whether you're a kid or or now if you wanted to present something to your parents maybe you wanted to go out for a party you waited for that moment you're like oh 
oh, he looks a little tense. No, I'm not going to mention it now, right? We, we are aware of these things, like how somebody's feeling to present the right time. We can do that. We have learned that we can do that on Zoom or in person or, or on the phone. It's the same thing. Building those habits takes a daily commitment. And I wonder, I know that you've got a number of exercises in your book. I wonder whether you could highlight a couple of those exercises that will enable people to create this habit over time because it it relies on that consistency, doesn't it? That that consciousness and awareness of it every day to ask those questions, to think about those things, to to be curious every day. Yes. So I also in when I, you know, um, developing the book, I really wanted to look at habits because I'm not a routine person. I don't mm -hmm. establish <laughs> habits very easily. I mean, some of them are easy, some of them, some of them aren't. But what I learned from, you know, different people um, like Charles Duhigg and and Gretchen Gretchen Rubin is to have an accountability buddy. So you can start out with 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 uh, working out which the priority empathy habits. There are basically fifty in in the book to to start with working out which ones that you really think are going to help you first. And it may be mm. doing collaboration sessions if you're, if you're, if it may be how to deal with difficult issues, or it may be, you know, helping your team members collaborate together. There are lots of, or, or with sales. I mean, there's a lot of stuff with sales. I have a, a big course on LinkedIn, which, which almost for, over 400,000 people have taken. So there are lots of empathy habits for in sales and outward facing situations. So, working out which the priorities ones are and then for each of the different ones start with two or three finding an accountability buddy who's going to help you they may they don't have to be you know launching the same habit as mm -hmm. you but whether you know if you're trying to uh start exercising more or not eating your you know not eating a dessert at every meal you you might need a different one for different buddy for each of these things and sort of somebody who says well Sophie how did you do in fact I'm trying to <laughs> trying to learn Portuguese and my son is trying to learn Italian so we send each other the screenshot of 15 words 15 words learned a day to mm -hmm. each other so he's holding me accountable and I'm doing the same to him so finding someone who can help you remind you like how are you doing Paul did you manage to do that yeah 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 I did that oh no I slipped and then seeing where you know, what is helping you do it. And, and, you know, when particularly you, you get rewarded when you actually see how well that's, that's doing. So really looking at how you can establish habits well. Um, and when you're, you're not doing it well, or, or you're getting derailed to so try and go back to that, because that's part of some of the, the challenges with really trying to change your mindset, trying to change your way of operating. The good news is that when you do, it does start to, to, to set to, to to you st do start to establish these these habits, then they it, you you know you're it's a rolling stone and you and you keep getting you know better feedback, more motivation, um, and you know become more and more empathetic in all your interactions. Yeah, you discuss in the book how companies can obtain a sustainable competitive advantage by cultivating a more empathetic culture in a human centric work environment. I'm sure that's something lots of our listeners today would love to learn a little bit more about. Can you talk me through the mechanics of that? How, how do you cultivate that more empathetic culture and create a competitive advantage as a result? So the competitive advantage is, you know, across all different dimensions, the way I'm looking at it. So it's in terms of, you know, how your, 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 the people in the front line are dealing with customers. It's, you know, how people who are, are working internally, how good the collaboration, all the different elements 
empathy can be helpful in. So, so that's where I see the competitive advantage um, and being able to deal with and cope with this fast moving, non-linear, non-routine work type environment that we have to both anchor each other and ground each other and be able to support each other and not be distracted by all this change. That also helps from a sort of from a cultural point of view. That's also going to be be grounding. But you know, when we're thinking about the, you know, empathy in this environment and how to to really shift the culture, it starts with, you know, obviously the leaders uh, in 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 of teams at all levels, middle managers and, and senior executives, looking at all these different habits and and really setting the example. So mm -hmm. it, you know, it's going to come from the top or it has to be at the top of it's really going to be pervasive and throughout the organization. Um, and if the culture has not been articulated clearly, then that is a really important place to start and including um, integrating empathy as one of the core cultural values. Yes. Um, other, other values, you know, inclusion is going to be really important because those are very, very closely associated. And trust, I think, is if it's not, you know, specifically identified, that is going to be you know, critical to make sure that that's part of the cultural environment. And then it needs to be modeled. It needs to be modeled yeah. an example. It cannot be, you do this, but I'm going to do something different. In my mind, empathy relies on heavily on two things amongst many others, but relies on deeper context. You know, the story that surrounds that moment that empathy is required, for example. And the other is time, the time to consider the situation, to draw in that context and consider everything and then empathize as a result. And you describe this process in your book as think, feel, and act. Um, however, one of the, the most pervasive parts of our lives today is social media, and this often lacks both of those things, context and and time. You know, it offers little opportunity for for context and driving emotional dissonance as a result, um, and it offers very little in terms of time because you feel you need to make a reaction or, or make a statement or put out a tweet or whatever it happens to be in a moment. So. We don't have the time to think necessarily, or we don't give ourselves that time to think, and we don't have the context because we're looking at 140, 180, 200 characters, whatever it happens to be. If that's the reality of our wider world, and we desperately need more empathy within business, how do we actually create empathy within a world that seems to be drifting in some regards further away from it? Okay, that's a big question. Yep. <laughs> so... First of all, I will say that some of the the new developments go for sort of take what has been launched and make it better. Yes. For example, Snapchat, tweet, uh, um, uh, text messages are really easy to the whole point of them is to be short and and sweet, um, but they can be so easily misinterpreted. Yes. So if you think about it, a snap really is adding some context. So I completely agree that context is so important to be able to understand. So if I, whether it is a beautiful smile, I'm thinking my, my son and my daughter, <laughs> they have their snap faces. But if you're adding a bit of context, like this is where I am, this is how I feel, this is what I look like, yes. you can see more, like that is adding more context. So thinking about, you know, how we're developing more context, you also have be real. So instead of having these incredibly, you know, produced videos, which people still have FOMO about, even though they know that these, these videos yeah. are, are super produced, 
Be Real, um, I love as an idea which comes out and is a new phenomenon, which basically says wherever you are, whatever your situation is, you have to show it now. And you have a minute, I think, or two right. minutes to, to, to show it now and be real. So we're trying to launch these new ways of actually you know, giving the context, being much more authentic and not having this sort of veneer that we um, we are, uh, you know, not showing the the reality, yeah. the depth of, of what the context is. So I think there's some, some important things, you know, we've launched into, you know, sophisticated technologies and tools and there are obviously repercussions with that and we need to be much more thoughtful and proactive in all areas of our lives, including how we're using all the different tools we have, including social media. So I think social media is, has some very powerful ways of, you know, we have much more interaction of, of ways of, of helping us connect. And also, you know, it's not without yeah. the downside. You know, we are hearing from customers, you know, employees, whether you want to or not, they have a voice about whether you should go and work at this company, Glassdoor, very powerful yes. for for holding holding companies accountable that, you know, what's real. So, you you know, employees or, or candidates will go and check out what, um, you know, whether what's being said on, on Glassdoor, like what do I have to be concerned about about this particular company? So I think there are some really beneficial aspects um, to this, but, you know, we need to take it in our stride and be thoughtful about it. And I think that's my advice across all of these things is be thoughtful about what you're putting forward, how authentic you're being and, and, you know, being your, being yourself as much as is appropriate. Yeah. Um, and as much, you know, so that you can connect with people and you can empathize with them and they can empathize with you. So it's been a really fascinating 45 minutes. So thank you very much. Um, we always end the podcast by inviting our guests to leave listeners with just one or two final pieces of wisdom that they can go away and look to practically employ in their business tomorrow, think about and employ if they want to, what would those be from your perspective? So I would say, you know, we're starting 2023 and this year is going to be messy and a few years after this, because we're going through so much change. Yes. So first of all, one, know that everybody else is in the same messy situation and it, everybody's trying to deal with transformation and trying to deal with how, you know, workers and yourself are, are looking at and thinking about work and how it's all changing. So be kind to yourself, be, be thoughtful about what everybody else is going through and just take a step back because we're all in this mess together. And it really does require leaning into this. I know we've come out of the pandemic and we, you know, we want to kind of like, oh, get back to normal. You know, it's just not where we are. And so if you can be energized with the new year to, to lean into where we are and really get proactively involved, the, the quicker that you embrace it and try and work out where we are, understand where we are, recognize all the different elements, kind of like, okay, so great. What can I do next? What's going to help me and my company and my team do their best work and really adapt for where we're going? Because there's lots of exciting possibilities and all these amazing tools that we have now. So I am very passionate about this, but I'm super energized about what we can do now. Mm -hmm. You know, when we can focus individually on each person and, and they can enjoy work and and be doing it wherever is going to make the most sense for them and do that and and really be able to collaborate better you know around the world or and you know digital nomading whatever they want to do necessarily uh, you know or not or not you know that these things are really exciting exciting possibilities and so stepping back 
really kind of saying, well, how can we do this best? And encouraging people, everybody to contribute. I think um, many, many things there that I've suggested, but I do think this is a really amazing time. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be messy. Um, so yeah, give yourself a break. <laughs> <laughs> Great advice to finish the podcast, Tom. Thank you so much for your time, Sophie. It's been a real pleasure. It's been so, so nice talking to you. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank you. To learn more about what Sophie does, go to sophiewade.com or flexcellnetworks.com and you'll find these links in the notes that accompany the podcast. I've also included a link to purchase her book, Empathy Works, and also the links to the LinkedIn courses that Sophie mentioned in our conversation. If you've enjoyed this conversation with Sophie or any of the other new PNL episodes, please do take a moment to rate us or review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. And finally, don't forget to get in touch about our new leadership programs if you feel they might be of benefit to you or your business. I'm Paul, host of the new PNL Principles and Leadership and Business podcast series. Thank you once again for listening and speak to you next week.